Let us rise again from our seats for our scripture reading. Our scripture reading today comes from Proverbs 14, 29. Please hear the word of the Lord and please give it your careful attention. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, church. Good morning. It's so good to see you. Uh, I hope you're feeling uh, well-rested after last week's sermon. Amen? Rested. Uh, what's the reason that we can rest once again? It's because God provides what we most need. Amen? So knowing that God provides what you most need, you are now here fully provided for. And so we can listen to today's sermon not out of a sense of deficiency, but out of a steadfast trust in God who provides for us even now as we speak. Um, I was asking myself why we're finishing this year. Up to November will be the last sermon series of the whole ecclesiology series, of the church series. Um, here's a summary of what we've been through in 2021. Uh, we've been covering ecclesiology, the study of the church. And every series, we've seen what the gospel of Jesus Christ does to our identity. And so he shows us the paradox of our lives and the church, the diagnosis of our spiritual state, the issues we face as a church and as an individual, the weapons that we have access to to overcome these issues, um, and the joy that fuels our life, and the life of worship that we live as we went through the uh, Leviticus series. And so we went through all the characteristics and the powers and the identity of church. Where is this all ending? Where are we all going towards? And here's the thing. Uh, all of our studies up to now, all of the Word of God up to now is so that we would be changed. Amen? And that seems like such a fizzing off of power. It's like, oh, like, why can't we end in missions? Why can't we end in, you know, a movement for God's kingdom? And here's the thing. The greatest movement uh, happens here. The most supernatural change happens within the individual heart and mind of a person. If you've been listening to our, uh, our Well podcast series on spiritual gifts, uh, th th this is a thing. No matter how smart you are, no matter how gifted you are, uh, what the pastors value the most is a character that can have those gifts and exercise it well. And so we'll be talking about five weeks in a row about the internal world of the Christian, the sanctification of the human mind. Now, specifically, we'll be talking about anger and anxiety and envy and shame and pride. Uh, this is so important. Uh, like, just because it's not visible doesn't mean that it's not important because all of us are a different combination of what I just talked about, anger, envy, shame, pride, anxiety. And we have to understand that the cross of Jesus Christ, what he did for the church is to complete and reestablish the image of God born again in the Holy Spirit. And so we must be men of character, women of character. Amen? So with that said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you be glad to be amongst us as we finish this year, perhaps not with a loud external bang, but with a deeper diving into the depths of ourselves, uh, you see our anger, you see our envy and our shame and pride, and after about 30 or 40 years of living, we know exactly how to deal with it without actually dealing with it. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move us 
and shape and mold our hearts. May the gospel be so powerful that it would even change this stone in my heart that I'll become more like you. Do not let 50 years or 40 years or 30 years of living cause us to be unshapeable and unmoldable, but let us be like clay in the hands, in your hands. And we desire to be changed from the inside out to become more like Jesus day by day. We lift up our hearts to you. Please be accurate but gentle with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're talking about anger today. Uh, and I remember every, every week I'll be starting with a small story of mine. Um, I remember when I was uh, six years old, I think, I was stung by a wasp, and it hurt like crazy. Uh, so <laughs> uh, I was not smart. I was all fire back then. Um, I, I found the biggest stick I could, and I found uh, the, wa <laughs> the, the wasp nest, and I beat it with a stick. And I was, as I was beating it, uh, I got stung three more times. And now I have trauma. <laughs> if you see a bee in KCPC, I'll be in the furthest room from it. <laughs> I am so scared of bees, wasps especially. They look so gross, <laughs> so, so scary. Um, but that's the thing. I had an anger uh, that uh, caused me to act foolishly. As we look through Proverbs, and we'll, we're going to be supporting it with various texts, we're going to look at, especially in this case, how anger, it says here, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. I could have understood that beating a wasp mess wouldn't have resulted in good things. But I had a hasty temper, which exalts folly. Why is this so important? More and more, uh, people are recognizing various situations where anger is common. Uh, types of rage, road rage, internet rage, office rage, social rage, flight rage even, like angry on the airplane, and we see videos of that, waiting in line, in line rage. Anger towards my enemy it was, seems to, is, was, is what seems to drive uh, culture and politics today. You know that a, a pastor um, I talked with really encouraged me by saying this, Pastor David, um, two words that you should avoid because people are so ready to jump on the anger that they had, is number one, uh, if you don't want to offend the people on the right, don't use the word equity in, in your sermon. If you don't want to offend people on the left, don't use the word um, submission. Because uh, we have gut reactions to how society has framed those words, and all words come from God. But we have a way that we frame those words where there are now decades of rage and anger built into one of those words. And so as a pastor, I have to navigate myself through more and more landmines, how not to offend you to the degree that you can hear the gospel and be offended by the right thing, which is your sinfulness and our affront to God, our rebelliousness to him. So how do we deal with the reality of anger on an everyday basis? Uh, psychologically speaking, we often deal with anger in two ways, two very different ways. Number one, uh, we, on the one hand, we uh, vent. We vent. Uh, even until just a decade ago, counselors and books often advised angry young men to vent their rage before it went beyond tipping point. And so they would say, before you go and shoot up a school, uh, before you do that, try punching a pillow. And that would be psychological advice and counseling uh, about a decade ago. 
and people would uh, try punching their pillows. And they realized through clinical studies, it didn't actually uh, release anger, but it reinforced it. And they're like, they're punching the, uh, uh, the bag, and they're like, uh, the harder they're punching it, they're like, I must be really angry to be punching it this hard. And so they're reinforcing anger uh, in, in their actions. So the text today tells us, he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. On the other hand, many of us are wise enough to know that anger that lashes out is unbiblical, right? Anger that lashes out is unbiblical. However, how about those people who suppress anger? Uh, A lot of us say, hey, I'm Christian. Uh, That kind of lashing out is beneath me. That kind of attitude is not who I am. And so I guess then, Jesus, when he flipped over the tables and he made a whip out of his belt, he wasn't being Christian then. And so we see that there is a response to anger that neither venting nor bottling up uh, merits that. Bottling up and venting is unbiblical. Uh, Scripture doesn't say that anger is something that you simply conceal or you simply show. Uh, There is a third biblical way. So if both venting and suppressing aren't biblically warranted, what can we do? Thankfully, today's text gives us a third option. What is it? Which we'll call biblical anger. It says here, he who who is slow to anger. Slow anger equals biblical anger. Slow anger is biblical anger. Uh, So let's look at the uh, picture that I prepared for today. We're going to be seeing a lot of this today. Uh, This picture is a picture of a nuclear reactor, a fission reactor. And it shows the cooling system and how it works. And so all the components of today's sermon will be focusing on how we process anger from a very visual standpoint. So our anger, the biblical theology that we're going to go through, functions like the cooling system of uh, of that picture, and we're going to be seeing this. Number one, biblical anger, we're going to see, uh, needs to have a cap on top of it. It needs a containment shell. Uh, And what does a containment shell of anger look like? Number one, biblical anger displays God's righteousness instead of mine. Can you repeat after me? Biblical anger displays God's righteousness instead of mine. Okay. Uh, What we're talking about here is the parameters of your anger. What should you be angry about? What should you be angry about? To understand this, we have to realize that many times our anger comes from a sense of self-preservation and self-righteousness and self-centeredness. It comes from a desire to show that I am always right. And so the first occasion ever in Scripture that we see showing anger is talked about in the narrative of Cain and Abel. Both Cain and Abel uh, offer sacrifices to God, but God doesn't accept Cain's sacrifice. And so when Cain becomes angry, God asks him what? Why are you angry? Why are you angry? And God is pointing out the fact that even though Cain's sacrifice fails to honor God, Cain's anger doesn't come from him failing to honor God. It's coming from the fact that he feels entitled to God's blessing and accepting of his gift. His anger, in other words, is an attempt to say and justify to himself, God, am I not good enough of your approval? So in a theocentric, God-centered world, 
people would be getting angry about God and His righteousness and about God's righteousness not being fulfilled, His name being dishonored, His standards being corrupted. And in a humanistic world, we often get angry because I have been offended and my standards have been gotten against. For example, uh, 3 a.m. in the morning, 3 a.m. in the morning, uh, your baby cries uh, over and over and over again. And one of the immediate gut responses is anger. It's like, ugh. So let's think about this. Is that biblical anger? And for what reason is it not? Because it's a gut response to your self-preservation because you need rest. And this, de- de- this example is so detailed because I'm talking about myself. I had to wake up at 3 a.m. I was so angry when I woke up. And I realized I'm preaching about anger today. I needed to process this. And so I wasn't angry uh, for the right reasons. Like if my daughter crying out had somehow offended God, and one against his ways, then there's something to be angry about. The right perimeter is there. But oftentimes our anger is outside of God's glory. It's not about him. James 1, 19-20 actually shows us good biblical anger. Let's look at the verse. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Slow. Because, what? Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. The righteousness that we try to acquire through our own anger is different from the one that God desires. In other words, because God desires for His righteousness to be known and not mine, His anger is biblical and mine is not. And if we flip this over, human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. If we flip that over, this may be saying and implying this. God's anger does produce righteousness that he wants. So God's anger, God-centered anger, produces a type of righteousness that human anger and self-centered anger doesn't. Psalm 711, God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. God is a righteous judge, on the other hand. Why is he righteous? Because he displays his wrath every day. You get that? So when God displays his wrath, his righteousness is showing. And so God is required to display his wrath on a daily basis because of his character and his righteousness. He cannot look upon human sinfulness and merely say, I'm going to shove that under the couch. I'm going to get rid of it. He has to respond in a biblical manner. Now, many atheists are upset that God can be wrathful and he has the right to be wrathful. But by doing so, the atheist is demonstrating a presumption that there is nothing in the world to be rightfully angry about. And yet they're so angry. Scripture shows that wrath is God's proper reaction to a world that lacks godly righteousness because of evil and injustice and sin. So here's how this connects to us. When we convey anger, not for my righteousness, but on God's account, there is a type of agency that carries over where our anger turns into a display of God's, God's character, God's nature. We're revealing how God would have responded to the situation. And sometimes it could look very, very harsh. In Numbers 25, 
Israel is being beset by a plague as punishment for their rebellion. And out of nowhere, this Israelite appears with a Midianite woman. And the Midianite woman was a reason that Israel had fallen into sin because they were set up as a snare and a trap. And so they go into a tent to have sex with each other while everyone else is weeping in repentance before God. And so here's a people group who are uh, weeping in repentance because God has been offended. And here's a person who has not uh, experienced God's wrath and he's just going through with his actions and he's going to have sex with a foreign woman. And now a man named Phineas, Phineas, became so filled with godly rage and anger that he went into the tent and he impaled both of them with a spear. And right now in today's society, we would call that the most heinous crime ever, that, it, that, that that's an, an act against humanity. But, but God says that he represented God's wrath and God's wrath was turned away because somehow Phineas represented God's interest on earth. I wonder if this shakes you, that God is wrathful against certain things in the world. When Jesus saw the temple being uh, desecrated, he was so filled with righteous anger that he flipped over tables and the temple, uh, in the temple, and the trading temples, uh, trading tables there, yelling, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a den of robbers. He was exhibiting an anger and righteousness for God's behalf. In other words, Anger is all about what you're trying to protect. Anger is a reaction to what you're protecting. And when you're, what you're protecting is under threat, that's when you react by anger. In other words, what are you protecting? What are you so angry about? What is it that you're trying to protect? Whose standards are you trying to keep? And whose righteousness are you trying to assert, yours or God's? And I pray that KCPC would be filled with people who are filled with a slow anger that is accumulating not because of my desires or my anger, but because God's name is on the line. And that's the type of church that is uh, aware of God's presence in the world. Things that are in front to God's glory, His character, His existence, these things should stir up deep anger in you. While things that threaten your righteousness and your standards shouldn't, should be tolerated a lot more in grace. How is this so? What are you trying to protect? In a biblical sense, your righteousness, what you're trying to protect is Christ himself. Amen? And so what you're trying to protect is Christ Christ in you, that is where your anger should be coming from, is that whatever is an affront to Christ in you results in anger, in biblical anger. I know you're wrestling with this right now. It's a total departure from humanism. The idea that humans are the final arbitrator of what is good and bad. And hence, what things should anger us. And this requires a total acceptance of theocentricity, that God is the center of the universe, that God defines what is good and bad, and hence, when those standards are gone against, we should be angry in a slow biblical sense. People are angry about wearing masks and not wearing masks, angry about getting vaccinated and not getting vaccinated. How does that connect to the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
if you can find a way to connect the mask mandate with the glory of God and with the honor of Jesus Christ, you have foundation to be angry. But so much of our world is fueled by a baseless anger that changes all the time. Does your anger come from a desire to show how righteous God is or how righteous you are? And that's what we're struggling with today. Biblical anger is a display of God's wrath towards a fallen world that rebels against him. But there is also another part to the system of uh, cooling our anger to make it more biblical. Number two, biblical anger also processes uh, things in light of the cross. Therefore, repeat after me, biblical anger forgives and does not condemn. Forgives and does not condemn. Let's look at the uh, picture again. Now we're at the part where the coolant is activating. And how do you cool down anger? Now, we, before we looked at where the anger should be happening, it's within the confines of God's righteousness. But how do you cool down your anger so that it becomes a controllable source of energy in our lives? We see that, the, that while worldly anger makes us demand and defend ourselves by upholding my own righteousness and asserting my moral ground, it does more than take a defensive stand. It attacks the other person and condemns that person for the sake of my own righteousness. And the courts, uh, if you go to a slander lawsuit, uh, it never ends with one person merely defending and protecting their own reputation. There's usually always uh, a counter lawsuit uh, that smears the opponent, the person who started the, uh, the slander, and you're trying to smear his reputation and his credibility by attacking him as well. And that's because human anger almost always necessitates the destruction and the downfall of the one who has dared to anger me. Do you get that? Human anger always needs to result in the destruction of the person who has angered me. And that is unbiblical. Biblical anger is, uh, anger is so different. Uh, it enables the Christian to forgive the offender, forgive the offender because we have one event that acts as a coolant, a coolant that cools down our anger to the proper degree. What is that event? It is Jesus' death for us upon the cross. You get this? In other words, Christians who know this process that Jesus died for us, and that process empowers us to cool down the anger that we have at the world around us. Why is that possible? Because we see that God, in his wrath towards us, sent his son Jesus Christ to absorb his own wrath against us. So the very thing that we're angry about, we're also guilty of it, and that cools down our anger. It cools down our anger. The fact that God waited so patiently for me, he endured my rebellion all throughout this week. Like, look back at your week and see how you failed to honor God even while confessing to be of the Son, Jesus Christ. Look back to see how we have so failed to love God as we should, and God was still yet so patient with you. 
And the more you do QT, the more you read God's word, you see how much God has put up with my past week. And that allows me to say, brother, you and I are the same. Sister, you and I are the same. The, that, the exact same thing that angers me out of your actions towards me, I've angered God with that. I have offended him. And he responded, not by destruction, but he saved me through the blood of Jesus Christ at great self-sacrifice. That cools down the heart that is angry. And there's a caveat to this. Biblical anger doesn't just forgive for the sake of forgiving. It forgives upon the right foundation. Why? Forgiveness is not the ultimate Christian virtue. Forgiveness is possible because it recognizes that the price has been paid for your sin. Do you get that? So it's not just saying, I, I, I'm just going to forgive you because nothing happened. It doesn't mean just to forget. Remember, Jesus' final words upon the cross was not, I forgive you. He says what? It is done. Tetelestai. What that means is, that's an economic term that, you know, that, that's usually on receipts. If you buy something, the word, it says tetelestai, it means paid in full, payment processed. And so, like, when you go out of Costco, you need that red line on your receipt to, to leave to the parking lot. That's basically what Jesus is saying. There is a debt and I paid for it in full, tetelestai, and therefore you have merit and reason to go out to be free in the world, to be loved by God. There's a reason and a foundation. It's not a wishy-washy type of, I forgive you because, you know, I just want to be a nice person. Christian anger deals with the affront. It deals with the offense in Christ, and therefore you have no legitimate reason to be angry at that person anymore. What this means is, if the person you're angry at if he's covered under the, blood of, under the blood of Christ, it is done. Amen? It is done. The foundation is there, and you can forgive him because Christ forgave him and me. Therefore, we can forgive. Let's look at Ephesians 4, 31, 32. It beautifully summarizes why we should forgive. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away amongst you, along with all malice. Why? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? As God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness is a reaction and an imitation of what God has done for us. It's not a self-processed feeling. You're not like, I'm going to forgive this person, I'm going to forgive this person, and then I forgive you. It's, God forgave me, he loved me when I was unlovable. Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, God demonstrated his love for us by dying for us. That cools it down, doesn't it? Show of hands, how many of you were angry the past week? Okay, we have a lot of uh, <laughs> people who deserve to be in heaven right now. <laughs> Uh, how, many, how much of your anger came from anger at a person? The cross can cool it down because you were forgiven. Amen? Uh, all it takes is one QT, and you discover how much you are angry and how much you are bitter towards God himself when he forgave you. 
that gives you the foundation to say, Tetelestai, it is done, it is forgiven, and I now can approach you with biblical love and forgiveness. Think of someone who wronged you. Have you forgiven him or her? I know some people who don't like each other in this room. I know some people who have such different characteristics uh, that you can't be in the same room together and you don't know how to work together as a team. Uh, there are some of you who just don't like each other because of your personality differences. And I ask you, what did Jesus do for you? Did he simply tolerate you and say, uh, ew, I'm going to just forgive you and uh, I'm going to stay on the opposite side of heaven from you? Because that's how we do church. Like, I'm going to tolerate this, this person, this human being uh, in our church, but I'm never going to, so I'm, I'm presuming you're sitting on the opposite side from each other, that you're ignoring each other, you're not in, probably not in the same soon. I'm asking you, what has Christ done for you? He forgave you. He didn't just tolerate you. He forgave you. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. He wants to spend time with you. He is forever with you. And so, therefore, biblical anger is an anger that deals with the sin, but then restores, forgives, and then is together with the person that you hate so much. And I don't want today's sermon to sound wishy-washy, like devoid of theology. This is probably the most crucial fighting area in our church. People hate each other in our church. A lot of people do. And they spent years knowing which team to be in to avoid each other forever. Out of a 5,000 people church, it's so easy to not forgive someone and think that you're Christian because you're serving the Lord so hard. And my deep application response for you today is this. You're not a better Christian if you work harder this week for a soon or serve harder at an admin team meeting. You're a Christian if you cross the gap that you've created and you go to that person and you say, Tetelestai, it is forgiven, and you hug each other and it's over. That needs to happen in our church. Like, we're so good at looking holy. We're so good at worshiping. We're so good at, at, at looking like mature Christians when in your heart you're concealing your hatred for a brother that you've only learned how to tolerate. Like, practice it in your, in your soon. Like, stop jumping from soon to soon because someone is weird. Always say that. It's not like I, I hate him. It's like, he's so weird that I can't be there. She's so, like, out of touch that I can't be there. Like, do you know what Christ did for you? How out of touch you were with his moral world and his universe? Please, let's be a church that knows biblical anger and forgiveness. Amen? Can you think of a person to reach out to? Those of you who are just like, you know, <laughs> I'm so well, I'm so good. Lord, thank you for this sermon. And then suddenly someone comes up to you after service. <laughs> Don't be offended <laughs> that that person hated you. <laughs> There's something to talk about. And that's good for what? The sanctification of the church the growing fruit of the church. Let's be real. I want you to be able to talk with people you disagree with in your soon. Biblical anger, once again, processes 
everything in light of what? The cross. The cross processes anger. The fact that Jesus died for me, God's anger was fully exhibited. God didn't take away his anger. He accrued it through 6,000 years of human history, recorded human history, and he fully exhibited on Jesus Christ. That's why Isaiah says, it pleased God to crush him. It pleased God to judge the essence of sin when Jesus took it upon himself to be sin, well, while we became his righteousness, Jesus became sin, and God crushed him. It pleased God to crush him because wrath was being propitiated. It was being taken care of. And then, complete love and forgiveness. You are not just tolerated. God has no wrath towards you anymore. He loves you to the full with full justification. That's how we process anger. Last one, repeat after me. Biblical anger, therefore, restores and does not destroy. Let's look at the picture again. Where are we now? The coolant is the cross. The, the, the cover is God's righteousness. That's where you should be angry about. But what's the output? It is restorative energy. Restorative power that helps the sanctification of the church. That's what needs to be the outcome of biblical anger. What is it? Too many cases I've seen anger destroy a church. Well, what does biblical anger do? It restores a church and not destroys it. And if any of you know how to do this, if any of you know how to use your anger, process it in the cross, and you're angry about the right things, and then you use it in a way to restore people, uh, please come to our leadership retreat. <laughs> you are more than a leader in our church. You are exactly who we need to cause forgiveness and mutual growth in our church. You're exactly the type of person we're looking for because there's a lot of unprocessed anger in our church. And if you know how to process it, blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called children of God. Biblical anger is ultimately restorative. When God established a covenant relationship with Israel, he introduces himself to Moses. And this is the first time that God is introducing himself to a, pe to a people. So God says to Abraham, I'll make you your people more numerous than ever. And then after a silent period where about 400, uh, 400 years, and then the people of Israel grow and flourish in Goshen, and they have now escaped Egypt. This is the first time that God is actually introducing himself to the people of Israel. What will his introduction be? Like, how will he introduce himself? And this is what he says. The first thing that he says to the people of Israel, and this is God, in the context of God displaying his glory. So glory is coming out, and this is what he says. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Let's look at the verse. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is the first self-revelation of God that God gives to his people, that his anger is slow, and he's abounding in love and faithfulness. And the covenant that is made is filled with a fatherly language. Doesn't this sound really familiar? It's parental language. He's saying, God is telling that his slow anger is a sign of his fatherhood over his people. And fatherhood always restores and not destroys. 
If you've ever disciplined your son or your daughter, you know that the purpose is to restore and build and not to destroy. And in God's covenant language, when he talks about his slow anger, what is that for? It's for your sanctification, the sanctification of the church series. God is slow to anger because he's a father to you and he establishes you and restores you and builds you with his slow anger. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as the father, the son he delights in. Hebrews 12, it cites this same proverb. It cites what, he just, what I just read in Proverbs. And then Hebrews 12 concludes, Therefore, if God is loving and he, he's filled with parental, covenantal love for you, and his slow anger is used to build you up, what should be the therefore, the response? What is the response? Because this is what you hope for the people that you're angry at. What do you, what do you want? Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. What does that mean? God is angry at you and he's slowly disciplining you in his anger. What's the response? It's not to cower in fear. It's not to say, I'm so scared of this God, I'm never coming to church again. It's not like, oh, I'm hurt, I'm never going to respond to him. Your response should be, Lord, strengthen my arms and knees in obedience to you so that I can grow as you are training me right now. When you're angry to a person in church, what, should you, what are you desiring? Per, that that person would have a stronger arms and knees and joints and ligaments that that person would obey, not you, but God, our Father, our Father. So what you're trying to do in your biblical anger, and if you've never seen this fruit in your life, you should be a little ashamed. If the person you were angry at didn't come closer to God the Father in restoration, then your anger was wasted and it blew off the cap of the nuclear reactor, and it's just, it just diffused in weird directions, probably at the destruction of the church, at the destruction of the group you're part of. If your anger didn't result in a person coming closer to obedience to God, then that anger was wasted. And I want you to self-reflect for a while. Remember when you were angry. Remember that fallout with your friend. Remember that weird soon-gathering. And then see what you do with your anger. Because it must restore. Scripture is basically saying, I know discipline hurts. The biblical anger of God towards you stings. In fact, it sucks. However, don't fret. Don't fret when God is angry at you. Because it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace and obedience for those who have been trained by it. There it is again. God's anger towards you produces righteousness while human anger just destroys. So when you feel the slow anger of God upon your neck, upon your back, do not break down in fear, but what? Strengthen yourself to obey the Lord. The Father wants that of you. Some of you might have had broken parents who punished you and crushed you for the sake of it. And some of you can't imagine good and holy and biblical anger upon you, but God, our Father, is good. He demonstrates that upon the cross, and now all of his anger towards you 
is used to build you up. Like, look at your past week. Let's be honest. How gentle has God been towards you? How many times did he, did he withhold his anger? I'm talking about myself. If God had jumped in every time I sinned, I'd be, I'd be traumatized. But God held back in such sweetness. And I hope that's stirring your heart, that you're so loved and forgiven and so patiently dealt with that your anger towards another person kind of concentratedly turns into, I need to help that person become more in love with my God and Father. So why should your anger be any different from God's? Dearly beloved, only those who have experienced God's love for them, God's patience for them, and God's restorative purpose in his anger, which is the gospel basically, the anger exhibited upon the cross upon Jesus Christ for our restoration. If you haven't experienced that, then your anger will always be wrong. But if you experience the cross, then you can imitate that anger towards your neighbor and it will save the people around you. Our church must grow like that. We must stop fighting like kindergarten kids. We must stop forming clans based upon how much we vibe with each other. But the gospel causes us to be uncomfortably in love with each other. How do we apply this? Social media has trained us to make a split-second judgment call within a 10-second soundbite. It takes a 30-second viral video to destroy someone's life today. Anger is quickly distributed. It is our daily fuel. It's divided the society. It's dividing the church. But those of you who have encountered Christ, look to the cross. Amen. Look to the cross. Why? See how the cross and shudder how it contains thousands of years of God's perfect wrath and perfect anger by the only one who deserves to be angry towards your sinfulness and towards your rebellion. You must be afraid of that. And yet, see how pinpointed and calculated and how purpose-driven his anger is to save you and to restore you to atone for your sins and see how God's anger, which we rightly deserved, was directed not at him, not at us, but towards himself on the cross, resulting in infinite mercy towards us and infinite self-deprecation. That's anger. That's biblical anger, where you would rather suffer for the sake of the person that you're angry towards. And now, because of the cross, God isn't angry at you. This is such elementary knowledge. God isn't angry at you. He's not angry at you. But why am I saying this over and over? Because every time I hear someone go through something bad, they're like, God must be angry at me. That's why this is happening. Like, God must have flipped over my car because he knew that I was, in, you know, engaged in, you know, all these bad affairs. God is not angry at you because his wrath has been satisfied in Christ. Why did that happen then? For your training and restoration, for your good. 
There's so many superstitious people out there who only see an angry and wrathful God and they don't know what to do with his fatherhood. And I'm encouraging you today, God is your father. He is good. His wrath has been propitiated. You are only seen in favor. You're so precious to God that whatever he pours out, whether it stings or whether it is sweet, is meant to restore you. Amen? Everything is meant to restore you and train you and make you stronger in your obedience. Therefore, trust God, your Father, who gave Jesus Christ upon the cross. Trust Him. Those of us who see this, those of us who see this, let's summarize today's sermon. Make sure that your anger is motivated by a desire for God's righteousness now. We fight for His glory and His honor. Amen? That's what we're angry about, that His name is not being realized as a, as a name that can save all other peoples. That's what we're angry about. Not because I'm being gossiped about. Not because I'm being seen as a bad person, but because my Lord and Savior is not receiving the honor that He deserves. And if you think of it that way, I'm always angry. Just like uh, the Hulk said, the secret is I'm always angry. I'm always angry that God is not in his rightful place, in your hearts, in your minds. Number two, know that if your brother and sister is in Christ, then the cross has done away with the source of your anger. It has satisfied it. Therefore, the anger and emotion you felt is now just a tool to get closer to that brother and establish him before the Lord as you go down. Amen? I want to see this in our students. I really do. Because no matter how many sermons you hear like this, you still do not like that person. It never works. I ask for application and people are like, yes, amen, Lord. And then they don't do it. It fizzes out. And I ask you, make it a dedicated, holistic, willful homework that you reach out to someone that you didn't like, that you weren't comfortable with, that you were indifferent towards, and see what the grace of God does. Like, I see God weeping when I do that. Like, finally, you understand what I did for you. Finally, you understand. And those of you, if you can't forgive your brother or sister, or if you can't come to like someone that you don't like, I'm sorry, you don't understand what God did for you. And now the issue is not your application of the gospel, but your understanding of it. If that brother or sister is not in Christ, what do you do? Bring that person to the Lord. Jesus is looking for that person. He needs to understand and she needs to understand that God's wrath towards their sin has been propitiated upon the cross and they have full standing with God their Father if they but accept the gospel your anger can be used as a channel of gospel forgiveness. How do you do this? Let's say someone does something incredibly wrong towards you. Incredibly wrong. And how do you approach that person? If that person is especially a non-believer, if that person is a believer, I would say you did something wrong. You, we, you must apologize for the sake of your conscience and your growth in Christ. But if he's not in, in Jesus Christ, then here's what I do. You offended me. You totally destroyed what I was working for. You destroyed my reputation. And yet, I want to show you the crazy grace that God has showed me. Let me buy you dinner. Let me love you more. Let me hear what your prayer requests are. Let me suffer with you, whatever you're going through. And that bewilders him 
to love the gospel. Let that be do- done in your relationships. Amen? So categorize. Okay, person I don't like is right in front of me. Is he Christian? Help him obey the Lord. If he's not Christian, bring him to the Lord through your slow anger. Amen? Finally, use your anger like a loving father disciplines. If you don't know what that means, experience your own restoration through the father's love, his patient love for you, and then do likewise to restore your brother and your sister. Praise team, please come up. And we're going to respond uh, the five weeks that we're going to go through is going to be very difficult. It could be, you, could, you could easily lose track of your thought and easily fall asleep because we are going into the inner world of a Christian, and that's where we're trying to fortify. It's like, it's like I remember there's a facial like, uh, uh, muscle that you can never train because it's never exercised. And this is the thing, control over your anger and your envy and your anxiety and your shame and your pride, that is a muscle that we never exercise. Usually, we practice the sermon by serving more or helping more or being more proficient, but this is the muscle that we never exercise. Control your heart, your emotions, and that will mature you before Christ, and God will be pleased with the growth of our church. Amen? We're not looking for numbers. We're looking for people who are maturing in Christ. And if one of you becomes more mature today and you die tomorrow, heaven forbid, God will say, say, well done. You became more like my son Jesus. That's the purpose of life. And I hope you find this a worthy fight to engage in. Let's stand up and praise and worship God for his slow anger upon us.